Welcome to the Plainfield Christian Church Podcast. We hope that the message today encourages you. For additional resources to inspire you in your journey with Christ, connect with us on Facebook and Instagram. Enjoy today's podcast. Good morning, church. Hey, if we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Luke. I get to serve as one of the ministers here. And I have a question for you. What do you do when somebody throws a spear at you? Now, uh, this is of course a hypothetical question and a metaphorical spear, but what do you do when somebody throws a spear at you? I'm talking about like when somebody attacks you, when somebody tries to discredit you, when life drags you down, when you get drugged through the mud, when you get, uh, you know, when you get like blamed and, and ignored and, and when somebody tries to uh, destroy you, when somebody tries to uh, throw your name and drag it through the mud, what do you do when somebody throws a spear at you, when you're in one of those seasons and life is just hard and it's not your fault, what do you do when somebody throws a spear at you? Um, some of you might recognize the name Billy Martin. He was the manager of the New York Yankees a long time ago, managed the great Mickey Mantle. And one time Mickey Mantle and Billy Martin went down in the off season and they drove down to Texas to go deer hunting. And they pulled up to a ranch that was owned by a friend of Mickey Mantle's and Mickey Mantle said, hey, Billy, you stay here in the car. I'll go talk to my buddy and then you and I will go hunt. And so Mickey Mantle walks inside of the farmhouse, talks to his buddy, asks if they can hunt. And his friend says, yeah, absolutely. You can hunt wherever you want. But before you guys go out, would you mind doing me a favor. I've got this old mule that's really sick, but I just don't have the heart to put it down. Could you go put my mule out of its misery? And Mickey Mantle says, sure, no problem. He walks out of the house and he's heading back to the car when he decides it would be fun to play a joke on his manager, Billy Martin, who's still sitting in the car. Mickey gets in the car, slams the door shut, and he's just fuming mad, pretending to be angry. And Billy says, Mickey, what's going on? And Mickey says, well, he, he won't let us hunt. He told us to get off his property. And you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna go shoot his mule. <laughs> and, and sure enough, Mickey Mantle, he gets out of the car, storms off, pow, shoots the mule dead. He comes back and to his shock, he sees that Billy Martin is also standing there by the car with his rifle smoking. And Mickey Mantle says, Billy, what'd you do? And Billy says, yeah, that'll teach him. Let's go. I got two of his cows also. <laughs> True story. <laughs> this is our natural reaction as humans, right? Somebody throws a spear at you, pick it up and throw it back. Like turnabout's fair play, get your revenge. You didn't deserve that. What do you do when somebody throws a spear at you? We've been walking through the life of David in this sermon series. David is one of these great heroes. I'm gonna to try to balance that there and see if I don't get impaled for this sermon, okay? Um, and David is one of these great heroes of scripture, but the most amazing thing about David is we saw in 1 Samuel chapter 13 last week that David is seen as a man after God's own heart. That's what God calls David. Man, wouldn't you love to be known like that? And so we're asking this question as we walk through the life of David together, how can we be people after God's own heart? How can you be be a man after God's own heart? How can you be a woman after God's own heart? And today we're going to take a look at what David does when somebody throws a spear at him. And for him, it's not a hypothetical question. It is not a metaphorical spear. And, and our hope is that we're going to walk out of today with three principles from the life of David to equip you for when somebody throws a spear at you too, for when you get attacked. 
Now, you might remember last week when we left off David, he'd just been anointed as the next king of Israel. You're gonna take the throne, but he doesn't get to ascend to the throne right then. Rather, he just got anointed king and he gets sent right back to the pasture to keep taking care of the sheep. And it's while David is out there in the pasture that one day this lion comes up and snags one of the lambs and starts to run off. But before the lion can go munch his lunch, scripture tells us that actually David caught up with the lion, grabs it by the hair and killed it. Pretty amazing. And he does the same thing another time with a bear when a bear comes after one of his lambs in this flock of sheep that David was guarding. And, and this is an amazing thing. David's just a teenage boy. And yet the Bible actually tells us David knows it wasn't by his strength that he was able to kill that lion in that bear. David says, the Lord rescued me from the paws of the lion and the bear. Now let's stop right there. This would be a good time for me to invite you to jump in on our reading that we're doing this summer. In case you missed it last week, I'd invite you right now, go ahead and text David. David Readings to 77411. That's all one word, capital D, David Readings to 77411. And we're not gonna spam you, but what we are gonna do is for this nine weeks that we're walking through the life of David together, we're gonna read through David's life on the actual pages of scripture. And if... Man, like if you've gotten out of the habit of having some time with the Lord every day in God's word and in prayer, or maybe you'd love to start that, but you just don't know where to begin. This is a great first step for you to build this habit into your life. And we're gonna be going here, there and yonder all summer long, but our hope is that this will keep us connected. So Monday through Friday, we'll send you a text with the little chunk of scripture from David's life that we're gonna be reading through that day. And then just a question to ponder as a result. And if you're a podcast person and you haven't subscribed to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast, um, we're also gonna be having a summary podcast every week. They just rolled out the first one last week to walk back through what we just read together. So our hope is that that'll help you build in some rhythms of faith this summer. You can pull out your phone and text that right there. I'm off my soapbox now. Let's jump back into the sermon, okay? Um, Here's the first thing David did in the face of attack, whether it was a lion or whether it was a bear, he remembered God's power. That's the first thing. Remember God's power. That's what David did, and that's what you can do too. David didn't kill that lion because he was strong. He knows he killed the lion because God was strong. Riley mentioned earlier that David was this famous songwriter. He wrote all kinds of songs that we still sing in scripture. And the most famous verse from David's most famous song is this one. You probably recognize it. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. So David is kind of reflecting on his experience there in the pasture. And he knows that in this relationship between he and God, David is not the one with the power. God is the one with the power. God is the shepherd. And David says, I'm just like a sheep. I'm weak. I get lost and turned around. I'm not all that smart. But God is the good shepherd who will lead me, feed me, care for me, protect me. Remember God's power, David says. The Lord is my shepherd. So what about you? Who's your shepherd Because here's the thing, in those seasons of life where it's hard, when maybe somebody throws a spear at you, where it's a difficult season, it's a season of maybe doubt or loneliness, weariness, exhaustion, darkness, confusion, those seasons where life throws a spear at you, they tend to reveal the shepherd that you're trusting in. And, and for David, when, when the lion showed up and when the bear showed up, it revealed that he really did believe the Lord was his shepherd. But listen, if you and I, if we peeled off all the layers, if we took off the masks today, honestly, who's your shepherd? Maybe you'd say, you know, honestly, the dollar is my shepherd and I never have enough. Uh, maybe you'd say, I'm my shepherd and I do whatever I want. Maybe if we're really honest, you'd say the president is my shepherd and as long as my party wins, I feel safe. 
Maybe you'd say my career is my shepherd. And as long as I'm successful, then I'm good. Maybe you'd say my marriage is my shepherd. And as long as my spouse doesn't disappoint me and let me down, then I'll be okay. Maybe you'd say my reputation is my shepherd. And as long as people admire me, then, then I have what I need. Maybe you'd say my kids or my grandkids are my shepherd. And as long as they're well-liked and well-rounded and well-dressed, then I don't feel like a failure. Who's your shepherd? Because listen, those are all good things. But uh, your, your reputation, the, the government, your finances, your relationships, those are all good things. But they're bad shepherds. They can't protect you. And if you look to them for your power in those difficult seasons, they will let you down and only leave you empty and afraid. There's only one good shepherd. There's only one person who will never let you down. There's only one power that's never out of office. There's only one opinion that's always right. There's only one voice worth listening to and following. Remember God's power. David knows the Lord is my shepherd. And that's what gave him the ability to face the lion and the bear in the pasture but that's also what gave David the ability to face the giant Goliath on the battlefield when somebody's literally throwing a spear at him. Now you've heard that story of David and Goliath, right? We read it together this last week. If you're following along with the readings, you remember that the Israelites are facing off in battle against their enemies, the Philistines. And out of the Philistine army camp comes their champion, the giant Goliath. He's nine and a half feet tall. He's wearing 200 pounds worth of armor. Just the head of his spear, scripture says, weighs between 15 and 20 pounds. This dude is absolutely massive. The Indiana Pacers would love to get Goliath in the draft in a week, right? And, and, and man, David, where is he when Goliath comes out on the battlefield? Well, he's back in the pasture. David's still with the sheep. He's not old enough to be with the fighting men. David's brothers were old enough. They were big enough. They were in the army. But one day, David's father, Jesse, decides to send David to the army just to check on his brothers, see how things are going, send some food. David is just the cheese delivery boy. He's door dashing to the battle lines, okay? And he shows up in the army camp and he looks around at these Israelites, God's people, soldiers of the living God, and they're shaking in their boots, their knees are knocking, they're running and hiding, and David's the only one left standing. And he looks around, he thinks, what's going on? And then he hears it. He hears that voice that the Israelite army has now been hearing for 40 days straight. Because Goliath walks out of the Philistine camp and he faces the Israelite army and he shouts. He says, give me a man, send me a man. I defy you, send me a man to fight me. I will fight your champion. And if I defeat your champion, you will be our slaves. But if your champion defeats me, then we will be your slaves. And this goes on for 40 days and nobody fights Goliath. Now here's the important thing to remember that as Goliath is going out there shouting, hey, send me a man, send me your champion. The Israelites had a man to send. They had a champion. We met him last week, his name is King Saul. Saul, we saw last week, was a head taller than everybody else in the whole country. Saul was an accomplished warrior. So Goliath is challenging, where's King Saul? He's the one who's supposed to go fight. But King Saul's in his tent, way back behind the battle lines where it's safe because he's a coward because he forgot to remember God's power. He forgot who his shepherd was. And so for 40 days, this giant taunts God's people and David shows up on the scene and he looks around and he, he says, what in the world is going on? Who is this clown that he thinks he can defy the armies of the living God? I'll go do it if nobody else will. 
And, and you saw it in the text as you read this week. I mean, one by one, the people in the camp, they make fun of David, they question David, they doubt David. It, it sounds crazy. Send a high schooler to go fight against some special forces warrior? That's crazy. And if you are a person who walks by faith, you will seem crazy to people who walk by sight. So think about this. As David is preparing to go out into battle against Goliath, think about what David did not know in that moment. Uh, For example, David did not know he was in the middle of a Bible story. (laughs) It was just another day, right? Uh, David did not know that we were gonna draw pictures and sing songs about his famous sling. David did not know that he was some kind of scriptural hero in the making. David didn't know any of that. He didn't know how the story would end. David just knew one thing. He knew the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. David remembered God's power. He remembered how God had helped him with the lion. He remembered how God had helped him with the bear and that gave him the courage to go face the giant. And man, look at what David says here in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verses 45 through 47. If you read this this week, it's like, man, this makes the Braveheart speech look like some kind of Victorian era tea party toast, all right? Look at what this teenage boy says. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you In the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. They like leave that part out of the children's Bibles, don't they? But my boys love it though. They love to pretend to like cut off dad's head on the floor, right? And David said, this very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. This amazing kind of confidence that David has no idea how it's going to end. He just knows that God is strong enough to do it. And, And you guys know the rest of the story, right? One sling, one rock, one dead giant, bam, just like that. And he does cut off his head. What about you? What do you do when somebody throws a spear at you? David remembered God's power. Do you remember God's power? Because I hope you know that the same God who empowered David is the same God who raised Jesus from the dead, who's the same God who lives in you today. If you're a follower of Jesus, when somebody throws a spear at you, remember God's power. You remember 1 John 4, verse 4, which says the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. Remember God's power. That's the first thing David does. Now, you'd think that after David goes from being little DoorDasher, cheese delivery boy, like shepherd guy, to being big bad Dave the giant slayer, surely his life would just be up and to the right from there on. Oh, got it. (laughs) Surely his life would just be hunky-dory from there on out, right? Well, no, if you keep reading, it definitely doesn't. We read earlier this week how 1 Samuel chapter 16, something happens to King Saul. We saw that verse last week, how the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. But in the very next verse, it says, the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and Saul's life just descends into chaos. He's in anguish and he's tormented. Scripture actually says by an evil spirit. And so Saul's attendants there in the palace, they're looking for anything to help King Saul out of this trouble. And so they start to search the land for a musician. And by the providence of God, they come across young David who's skilled in music. And so David packs up his donkey and he heads and he starts working full time at the palace as a musician playing for King Saul. And Saul loved David. 
1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 23 says this, that whenever the spirit from God came on Saul, David would take up his lyre and play. Then relief would come to Saul, he would feel better, and the evil spirit would leave him. So you can imagine this scene, can't you? Saul is, he's in the palace and he's just in anguish. He's tormented, he's writhing in agony, but David would come in and he'd begin to softly play some music in the background and Saul would calm down a little bit. And, and who knows, I'm just imagining, but maybe, just maybe, David would even teach Saul some of the songs he'd written in the pasture. Maybe they would start to sing together. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And a relationship started to form. But after the whole Goliath thing, that relationship turned south. That all of a sudden David kills Goliath and there's some other stuff going on inside Saul's heart now. Because remember, Saul had been the hero. Saul was the one who was taller and better looking than everybody else. Saul was the one who was the accomplished warrior, the first king of Israel. But even Saul was no giant slayer. And David was now the new national celebrity. And how do you think Saul liked that? Remember, we saw last week that Saul valued the opinions of the people around him more than the opinion of God. So 1 Samuel chapter 18 says this. It says, when the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with timbrels and lyres. Take a look at what they sang. They sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They've credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands? What more can he get but the kingdom? And from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. So Saul's getting a little jealous here. He's getting suspicious of David and his newfound fame, and, and it gets even worse. Verses 10 and 11 says, The next day an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. And Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. So now Saul's gone from just a little bit of bitterness, a little bit of suspicion and jealousy to full-out attempted murder. What do you do when somebody throws a spear at you? Remember, David has done nothing wrong here, but Saul's so jealous that he, he flies off the handle, and this isn't the only time he tries to kill David. We're gonna see in just a few more verses, again, he tries another time to pin David to the wall with a spear. Uh, then that doesn't work, and so Saul figures, well, I guess I'll just promote him in the military. He makes David a military commander, thinking, well, the Philistines will kill him in battle. But David goes on, and he just wins more and more battles, and David's getting so much esteem now that he figures, I, I'm gonna ask the king for his daughter's hand in marriage. He's fallen in love with this lady named Michael that's Saul's daughter, and I don't know what your father-in-law did for you you, like when I asked to marry Rebecca, but Saul says, sure, David, you can marry my daughter. You just have to bring me back a hundred Philistine foreskins. Like, don't tell me reading the Bible's boring, all right? <laughs> Thinking, well, as he's trying to circumcise a hundred Philistines, surely he'll get killed then. But David comes back and he has not one hundred, he has 200 Philistine foreskins. Can you imagine being the guy that Saul's like, yeah, go count those for me, would you? Yeah. Um, <laughs> telling you, this is, this is crazy stuff. Read your Bible. <laughs> Time and time and time again, Saul keeps trying to kill David. And so what do you do when somebody throws a spear at you? Now think about if David was describing this scenario on like Facebook and just telling all the stuff that Saul had done to him. Think about what the comments section would say right there, right? 
They'd say, David, you don't have to take that. Dave, you're, you're the giant slayer, bro. Like when he throws the spear at you, pick it up and throw it back. You don't deserve that, David. You haven't done anything to hurt him. Go tell everybody what he's done, David. David, you're the anointed one. Saul's time has passed. Your time has come. God's favor is with you. Pick up the spear, throw it back. You take the throne, David. You're the chosen one. But David doesn't do any of that. Take a look at what David does in 1 Samuel 19. It says, while David was playing the lyre, Saul tries again to pin him to the wall with his spear, but David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his escape. David doesn't pick up the spear and throw it back. He doesn't fight for what is rightfully his. He just runs away. He just left. And, and this begins the next chapter of David's life that now for years, Saul is gonna be hunting David down and David is gonna spend his life on the run, living in the wilderness, sleeping in caves, away from his home, away from his wife, away from his job, away from his family. He's lost everything. He has no control over the situation. Everything that he's relied on is now totally gone. And, and some of you know what it's like to be in a season like that, where the things that you use to provide stability have been yanked out from under you. What do you do in that moment? Have you heard the one about the, the federal officer who pulled up to the ranch down in Texas and he's driving his Tesla, you know, and he gets out of his car and he, he walks up to the old farmer and he says, sir, I'm gonna have to inspect your ranch here for some suspected illegally drone, grown drugs. And the farmer says, well, okay, you can look wherever you wanna look, just don't, don't go in that field over there. And the officer says, hey, listen, buddy, you see this badge? This badge says that I've got the authority of the federal government behind me and I can go wherever I wanna go, whether you say so or not. You got it, I can go wherever I wanna go. And the farmer says, okay, sure, have it your way. Farmer goes back to work and it's not five minutes before he hears a bunch of screaming and hollering coming from that field over there. He turns to look and sure enough, there's that federal officer running for his life from a big old longhorn bull. And the officer's screaming, help, help! And the farmer says, Show him your badge. <laughs> it's a dumb joke. Thanks for laughing, right? But, um, but man, I wonder if that's what David felt like a little bit. Just like running and those things that he'd relied on to control the situation and bring stability in his life have all been yanked out from under him. What do you do when you're in that spot? When you're stuck in a situation beyond your control, I don't know what it is for you, but maybe you've been unjustly attacked. Maybe you're in a season of uncertainty. You're scared. There's nothing you can do to change it. Maybe you're having health troubles. Like maybe it's a, a broken dream or a distant marriage or a wayward child or financial uncertainty. You're seeing the numbers drain from your account and you don't know how you're gonna make ends meet. Everything that you rely on for support and security and control has been yanked away from you. What do you do? Well, here's the second thing David did. We saw the first thing he did was remember God's power. The second thing he does is run to God's presence. And that's what you can do to run to God's presence. David runs into the wilderness and he spends the next few years living in and out of caves. And it's there in the darkness of a cave, fleeing for his life, having no idea what kind of trouble the morning light might bring that David composes some of the most beautiful words in all of scripture. David wrote over half of the Psalms, that big book in the middle of your Bible that's 150 prayers, 150 songs. We're singing through a lot of them in this series. David runs to God's presence. And I'm thankful that about 10 years ago, a mentor of mine challenged me to start praying the Psalms. And praying the Psalms has become the most foundational spiritual discipline in my life. I can't recommend it highly enough to you. And I was in one of those seasons 
I was 19 years old and we just found out that my mom had gotten diagnosed with cancer. And I, I was kind of in the middle of my prodigal season, was not at all strong in my faith. We didn't know how it was gonna end up. I didn't know what to do. So I did the only thing I could think of. I just like showed up at the church building. I'd like gotten a key from somewhere. And early in the morning of my mom's, the day of my mom's cancer surgery, I just went into the church and I sat there in the sanctuary on the front row and I didn't know what to do, but the preacher happened to be there early that morning. And he just came and he sat by me and he didn't say a word. And I didn't really know my way around the Bible, but I just like opened my Bible, just opened it. And it happened to fall on the words of David. From Psalm 20, verse seven, it says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord, our God. And God taught me something there in what felt like that cave season for me. What do you do when you're in that season? David ran to God's presence. And it was there in the darkness of the cave, enrolled in the school of suffering after somebody had thrown a spear at him, that David decided, no, I'm not gonna throw the spear back. I'm not gonna abandon the faith. I'm not gonna give up on my calling. I'm just gonna run to God's presence. I hope that's what you'll do too. But David couldn't run forever. The time came for David when he had to face Saul again. And for you, when people hurt you, the time will likely come when you have to face that person again. So what are you gonna do when it's your turn? Take a look at what David did here in 1 Samuel chapter 24. It says, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way and a cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. The Bible's ruthlessly honest, right? So Saul goes in to answer the call of nature in this cave, but it's not just any old cave. Look here, starting in verse eight. It says, David and his men were far back in the cave. They're in that same cave. The men said, this is the day, David, that the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I'll give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. David, pick up the spear, get him, now's your chance. But take a look at what David does. It says, then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went on his way. Amazing that David has the opportunity in one fell swoop to end all of this, to get out of his cave season, to be done with the guy who's trying to kill him, to ascend to the throne. David, you have the chance. Seize your opportunity. But he doesn't do it. Look at what David does here. It says, then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, my Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you've seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on, the Lord, on my Lord because he's the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I, I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there's nothing in my hand to indicate that I'm guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I didn't do anything wrong, David said, but you're hunting me down to take my life. Now here's the line I want you to catch. David says, may the Lord judge between you and me. 
And may the Lord avenge the wrongs you've done to me, but my hand will not touch you. This is amazing. David has the opportunity to be rid of all the problems and he chooses not to. What do you do when somebody throws a spear at you? And David, in this moment of great spiritual clarity, chooses not to pick it up and throw it back. He remembers God's power. He runs to God's presence. And here's the first thing. He rests in God's wrath. And that's what you can do too. Rest in God's wrath. Now, that may sound a little bit weird to you, right? Because God's wrath is not this topic that we celebrate and revel in a whole lot. Like, I'm thankful we live in an area with a ton of good churches. But if you drive around, you might see like First Church of God's Love, Grace Church, Mercy Church. You're not going to see First Church of God's Wrath, right? Not a popular topic. We sing, Jesus loves me, this I know. Not Jesus shoves me, this I know, right? What do you mean rest in God's wrath? And yet as a Christian, you can rest in God's wrath because God's wrath is not some fickle emotional outburst like your wrath and my wrath is. God's wrath is his maintained righteous antagonism toward the sin and death that destroys the creation that he loves. God's wrath is his divine anger at his justice. Wrath and love are two sides of the same coin. C.S. Lewis says that anger is the fluid love bleeds when you cut it. And so for some of you in the room today, man, when you've been in a hard season or maybe you're in one now, maybe you're a victim, maybe you've been wronged, maybe you know what it feels like to pray, Jesus, if you love me at all, you have to do something about this. And if you've ever been there, then I want you to know that you can rest in God's wrath because God's wrath is the beauty of knowing that he has seen the sin, he has seen the death, he's seen the pain and the hurt in this world and he will not do nothing about it. And that's what David did. He rested in God's wrath. He didn't need to pick up the spear against Saul and settle it himself. He trusted that God was going to pick up the spear in due time. And that's what you and I can do as Christians as well. Paul tells us this in Romans chapter 12, beautiful text. Paul says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. He says, do not take revenge. Don't pick up the spear, my friends but leave room for God's wrath. Rest in God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. God's job is to pick up the spear. And our job, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head, Paul says. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Rest in God's wrath. It's hard, isn't it? loving your enemies. And yet this is the fundamental basic nature of the Christian ethic. This is how we look different than the world when we choose to let God pick up the spear instead of us. When I think of love like that, I think of Ruby Bridges. Maybe you remember the story of Ruby Bridges. Um, Back in 1960, when Ruby Bridges was six years old, um, she went to school. Seems like a normal thing to do, but Ruby was black and she was the first black child in that period of integration to go into an all white school, just six years old. Can you imagine? 
And on her first day of school, hundreds and hundreds of protesters gathered outside of the school building as she walked inside, the only black student in a school full of prejudice. And people spit on her and they cursed at her and they threatened her life. One protester had a little black baby doll in a coffin. And yet amazingly, through it all, Ruby seemed to not be scared or angry or bitter or depressed. One morning after she'd been through this day after day after day, Ruby's teacher was looking out the window watching Ruby walk into the school building and she noticed that Ruby turned toward the crowd and her lips were moving. And so when Ruby got into the building, her teacher said, well, what were you saying to them? And Ruby, six years old, said, I wasn't saying anything to them. I was praying for them. Later on, Ruby would write, my mother and our pastor always said, you have to pray for your enemies and you have to love the people who do you wrong. And that's what I did. And I don't know about you, I wanna learn to love like that when somebody throws a spear at me, but it's really hard, isn't it? It's really hard. So how do we do that? Well, of course, we, we remember God's power and we run to God's presence and we rest in God's wrath, but ultimately, we have to remember the Jesus who did all those things for us. We see all of this displayed most fully at the cross, don't we? And so when somebody throws a spear at you, my challenge to you is to remember him. Think about the parallels between Jesus and David here. Jesse, David's dad, sent his youngest son to the battlefield. But our father sent his only son, not to the edge of the battle, but right to the middle of the fray. And when Goliath emerged from the Philistine camp and he said, send me a man, David stood up and answered the challenge. And when our enemy said, send me a man, the son of God stood up and he came from heaven to earth to meet the challenge. And Jesus, Jesus is not some King Saul who sits comfortably at the back of the army while we do the fighting all safe and sound. Jesus is a king who goes before us. David risked his life. Jesus gave his life. And think about the Israelite army. The Israelite army, they were victorious that day in battle. Not because they lifted a finger, they didn't do a thing. They were victorious because David went and fought on their behalf and won the victory for them. And you and I today are gathered as the people of God victorious, not because we lifted a finger, but because Jesus went toe to toe with our ultimate enemy of sin and death. And in his death and resurrection, he won the victory on our behalf. So when somebody throws a spear at you now, because of Jesus, we get to remember God's power. That the same power that raised Jesus from the grave is now the power that lives in you. And because of Jesus, now when somebody throws a spear at you, you get to run to God's presence because he's a sympathetic high priest and he's our mediator who right now goes before God on our behalf and he understands your pain. So you can cry out to him. And because of Jesus, now we get to rest in God's wrath knowing that someday Jesus is gonna return and he will establish his justice and he will unleash his wrath on the sin and the death that destroys the people that he loves. But we also get to rest in God's wrath because we know that we deserve that wrath, didn't we? Because the sin and death that destroy creation isn't just out there, it's in here. And yet instead of pouring out that wrath on us, God poured out that wrath on himself. When Jesus died on the cross, he absorbed the wrath of God on our behalf so that we could have his peace instead. So if you received the communion when you walked in, would you pull that out now? And I'm gonna give you a few moments 
just to be still with the Lord. And when you're ready to receive this little piece of bread that reminds us of the body of Jesus nailed to that cross. And here's what I want you to do in those moments before you receive this. I want you to picture the spear. Picture the spear that pierced Jesus's side as he hung on the cross and blood and water spilled from his body saying that, yeah, he was dead. Jesus took the spear. He took God's wrath so that we didn't have to, so that now we can share his love. And that even in that moment, Jesus cried out, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And ask God to give you the power to show that same kind of love to the people around you. I'll give you a few moments and then I'll pray and we'll receive the cup together. God, you know all the junk in our hearts. And if we had to stand before you on our own, we'd be hopeless, like a child before a, a giant. We deserve your wrath, Lord. And yet in your great mercy and grace, you have poured out your wrath on your son instead of us so that we could now be called your children. We praise you for that. We thank you that he took the nails and he took the spear so that we could now have his righteousness and his peace. And so Father, as we prepare to receive this blood that washes us clean, my prayer for my brothers and sisters in the room today is that we would rest in your power, that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and that we would walk out of here unafraid because of you, the great living God who lives in us. My prayer is that we would run to your presence, Lord, that we would be people whose hearts are always close to you, even in the darkness. And Father, that we would rest in your wrath, that you would fix our eyes on heaven, that we would eagerly await your return when your wrath will be poured out and your love will be revealed and sin and death will finally be done and we'll be face to face with you. We look forward to that day. It's in Jesus' name that all God's people said, amen. This is the blood of Christ. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's our desire for you to grow in your understanding of Christ's love as you partner with us in our mission to love all people to new life in Christ. If you have any questions about our church or would like to plan a visit with us, go to plainfieldchristian.com. If you would like to receive our podcast every week, we encourage you to subscribe to the Plainfield Christian Church podcast on whatever podcasting platform you prefer. Have a great week.